Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm here with Elias Randall again. Elias, a lot's happened since the last show. One of the things I was thinking about is we've spent a little bit of time talking about March Madness. It's now completed. We had two number one seeds, Baylor won. So back to kind of our thesis of that, if you were to have just went with the four number one seeds, you put yourself in a position to win the bracket. Yeah, you would have, and I was actually – I was really hoping Gonzaga would win. Uh, I just wanted to see an undefeated national champion. I thought that would be really cool. But uh, Baylor just, like, they played awesome. That's hard to beat any team that plays that good. So As much as you wanted to see the undefeated national championship, I didn't because I want to see the chase for somebody in the future to say, hey, I, I first undefeated national champion. I know, but that's what I'm getting bored of is every time they get close, they don't pull it off. No, but I thought it was interesting because we did that show. We did a follow-up show, and it just goes back to, and we talked about this this morning, not overcomplicating things. Literally, someone could have just went and picked all four number one seeds, put themselves in a position to win their bracket, just like you can put yourself in a position to win the financial game by keeping this pretty simple, putting forth a good game plan, and then just executing it. Yeah, that's right. That's a good lead-in to our topic today because it's about one of the uh, really one of the simple things of finance for what the last thirty years, the sixty forty portfolio, right? Yeah, and it's well known in the financial industry um, that the 60-40 portfolio is kind of considered this balanced portfolio, and it's been a staple of our industry for a long time. Um, and in the last probably six to twelve months. I've read a lot of articles about why the 60-40 portfolio is dead, why it's not relevant anymore. And I read one on the way into work, why the 60-40 portfolio is broken. Well, we had this discussion before we came in and filmed the show. The 60-40 portfolio has been dead to me for the last 10 years. And not because I wouldn't potentially have a client in a 60% stock and 40% bond portfolio. But we haven't made a blanket recommendation for someone to go into that across all clients for as long as I can remember. And the reason is we craft financial plans that are specific to each individual's needs and concerns. So you think about why the 60-40 portfolio was developed. Well, we had to have a way to just give people or the do-it-yourselfer their own advice. Give them some simple advice to follow that didn't, you know, take into account creating a financial plan, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of what makes a person successful through accumulation and then into their retirement. Yeah. And it was to go with your point, the 60-40 portfolio was popular, popularized by Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard. So that, and that makes sense, right? Because he needed a way to advise people on, well, how do you do this yourself? Here you go. 60-40 portfolio, which was kind of a product of like modern portfolio theory, but then Jack Bogle took it to the next level. And it's, I don't know, I guess I didn't know that, but I read that today and that makes a lot of sense because that was, here's a large portion of consumers not working with an advisor. It's been a very good portfolio. It's kind of like a staple. If you're not sure what to do, just do this, do a 60-40. Well, in Vanguard, in in companies that were selling direct and started kind of that direct to consumer model needed a way to popularize this and they needed a way to convey to a person 
what would be kind of a balanced portfolio because they didn't have the tools 20 years ago to go in and create a financial plan for someone to say, hey, a portfolio is 72% stock and 28% bonds, you know, diversified between these asset classes actually gives you the highest probability of success, which is what we do. And that's why I said it's been dead to me for the last 10 years. And that's really because 10 years ago is when we really embraced the financial planning side of this due to the, the advancements in technology and the different ways that we can create this living, breathing, dynamic financial plan that we can quantify on a daily basis what a client should do, what their optimal asset allocation is, and that changes over time. So I think um, let's talk about why some people believe this is dead. And there's some key reasons why people believe this balanced portfolio or 60-40 portfolio isn't relevant anymore. You know, a couple articles I recently read is Forbes had an article, I think it came out August of 2020. It said, time to rethink the classic 60-40 portfolio. Kiplinger said, is the traditional 60-40 portfolio truly dead or just hibernating? So when you start to research this topic, um, there's a lot of opinions, there's common themes. And our goal today is just to provide some context about why people believe it's dead, we're not going to make your opinion one way or another, but we're going to talk about the ways in which um, you should think about this if you're a do-it-yourselfer. And if you're not doing this yourself, maybe you should think about having a financial plan done, which is something we can help you with at btwellshow.com. Um, so let, let's talk about, Elias, about some of the background of this and some of the reasons people think this, this is kind of no longer relevant or, or dead to us going forward. Yeah, so for the last... I guess for the last 30 years, I, I ran a hypothetical on this portfolio. I used the the Vanguard S&P 500 fund and then a PIMCO total return bond fund. Which, and to level set, the PIMCO total return bond fund was the benchmark of, of our industry for a long period of time until Bill Gross left the firm. And, and it's kind of coming back into popularity, but I remember back in the 2000s, I mean, PIMCO total return bond fund was the bond fund you were using. It was in most 401ks. It was a highly popularized bond fund. Yeah, and so if you look at the last 30 years, so this portfolio would be about a 9.62% annualized return. And then really the popularity was you can get reliable returns, um, generate reliable returns, and then reduce some volatility. We don't need to probably get in the weeds on volatility and all that. So so now it's been a it's been an easy way for people to allocate their money, but here's where all this new talk of, okay, is this is the sixty forty dead? Here's some of the challenges coming up, and then you can touch on each of those. So we're in a low interest rate environment, and then we know, and you'll probably explain more, as interest rates go up, bond prices come down, and then risk exposure is something else. A common theme of these articles. Because one of the solutions could potentially be, okay, well, so do I allocate 70% to stocks or 80% to stocks or less at 50%? And some of that, some of those questions are, okay, can the person tolerate that, tolerate more risk in their portfolio? Is it a good idea for them? And then we know stock market is it um, currently historical high values and valuations on stocks are very high. And then uh, one of the articles did mention this is a second worst start in history for bonds ever so far this year. 
So, so far, the return has been negative 2.2, and that's the second worst start um, in the history ever for bonds. So let, let's talk a little bit about why people own bonds. I think that's best to step back and be like, well, if historically stocks have always outperformed bonds or cash or whatever kind of fixed income alternative, why would we even own bonds? And they really do two things for people. They either one, they provide income or did provide income. So if you're retired and you need, you know, income from a portfolio, there's two ways to get it. You can either sell capital gains, which are your gains in, in the investment. And when you sell it, then you have income you could take, or you can actually generate true income, which is through the form of a dividend yield or a bond coupon payment. So for a long time, people would buy bonds to generate income. Well, today, because of where we are in the yield market, there's very little income that's that's relevant or reasonable for someone to create a what I would call a meaningful income stream in retirement that you can depend on without really reaching for yield. And what I mean by reaching for yield is starting to buy lower quality assets. The old adage in our industry is the more risk you take, the more you get paid. So if you see a bond out there paying 10% interest, well, maybe we should be a little concerned because if the 10-year treasury is at 1.7, considered the risk-free asset, that's a big spread. That, that's yeah. really, really, really reaching. Yeah, and so, there's a lot of credit risk there, right? There's credit risk there. That's And what I mean by credit is default risk. Could the company go out of business? Think about this. Defaults happen. All you have to think about is every single shopping mall in America used to have what on the corner? Sears. Sears, yeah. Sears yeah. was on every corner of every shopping mall. Well, they defaulted. Who would have thought 30 years ago Sears would default on their debt and be out of business? Right. That's happened. So default that's default risk. You could have bought Sears bonds at a probably a really good coupon payment or interest payment, but they're out of business, so it did you no good. So that's the first reason people buy bonds is for income. The second thing they buy them for is safety. Because typically stocks and bonds have a lower lower correlation. So stocks go down, it doesn't mean bonds go down. If stocks go up, it doesn't mean bonds go up. They, they, they just aren't 100% correlated. And that's what you're looking for when you have a, this diversified portfolio. The problem today with bonds providing safety, and, and when I say today, I'm talking about the next 12 months. It doesn't mean long term, because I believe long term will all kind of revert back to the mean like we always have. But in the short term, so if, if this is short term money and interest rates go up like they have the last three months, the 10 year treasury went from 0.7 to 1.7 pretty quick. Well, if interest rates go up, the prices of bonds come down. They have this teeter totter component to them. And I think about the, 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 the teeter totter and the length of it. So if you think about the middle of the teeter totter, that doesn't move that much. Okay. The right. outer edges move the most. The component of bonds that dictate how much is moved is the duration, so the length of the bond. So if it's a you know, 30-day bond, well, that's not going to have a whole lot of price sensitivity to it. If it's a 30-year bond, it has way more price sensitivity to it. So what happens is if you're buying 30-year bonds for safety, in the next 12 months, it may or may not provide the safety you need. So those are the two reasons people buy bonds is income or safety. So that's the first kind of bash on the 60-40 portfolio is that, hey, we believe that we're in this ultra-low interest rate environment. 
and we think interest rates are going to go up. Well, I'm going to come back to the story of when I took out my first home loan in 2000 and two, 2003. Right out of college, wife and I bought our first house, met with a mortgage guy. You know, I have minimal amount of income history. I'm self-employed, so you know, I'm getting a adjustable rate mortgage, 5.75%. And at the time, that was like a smoking rate. I mean, my mortgage lender, who's still a good friend of mine today, he's still my mortgage banker. Man, I don't know if we'll ever see rates lower than this. Well, sure enough, a couple years later, rates went down and I was an adjustable rate mortgage. So I refinanced to a fixed rate mortgage. And maybe it's like 5%. Not sure we'll ever see rates lower than this. Well, refinanced again at four and a half. And then I bought a new house at 4.25. And then I refinanced that house at 3.375. And then I bought a new house. And I've just went through this whole game where rates have just constantly gone down. So we're, they're assuming that in the future, rates are gonna go up and we believe they will. It doesn't mean they will. They haven't for the last 30 years, meaningful, meaningfully. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I'm not betting, you know, my last mortgage I took was 2.75%. I told my wife, I'm not going to tell myself it's never going lower because it actually might. Yeah. Well, and that, that's some of the, that was some of the conversation in these articles. And when you start searching this topic, um, you know, and we saw back in the spring when the market came down, interest rates were lowered. So monetary policy was eased. And that's a lot of historically what happens. And I know the Federal Reserve has said, well, 0% is our floor. And I know we've joked around in the office, like eventually they're going to go to negative, which that could happen. It could not. They've said that they won't go to negative interest rates, but it's happened in other parts of the world. And just like you're saying, we've been saying for the last 20 years, rates aren't going any lower. I remember it was four or five years ago, a major, one of the largest broker dealers in the United States, they sent a letter to their clients warning Bond rate, bond yields could go up. You could have risk in your portfolio. This is like four or five years ago. And I'm not going to name the firm, but people will know who the firm are if they have accounts with this company. They send to everybody who own bonds. They, their president of the company predicted bond so, rates are going up. So they sent out a mass letter to mass all letter their clients? To everybody. Just And it's, it's kind of like Warren Buffett does his annual letter. Yep. Well, they do the same thing, just kind of preparing people for yields to rise. Well, guess what? Didn't they haven't. Yeah. So if those people try to predict it, predicting what bonds are going to do is no different than predicting what stocks are going to do. Nobody really happens. We have an idea. But if three years ago or two years ago or 12 months ago, you'd have said, hey, the 10 year yield is going to be 0.7%. People would have been like, what are you talking about? There's no way that's going to happen. And today we're 1.7, which is still historically low for the 10 year yield. Um, and the other argument of, you know, why this is dead is, you know, stock valuations are high. Well, they're high because we've had massive influx of money into into the a massive influx of capital into the markets. You have super low interest rates, which typically fuels growth. Um, those are all things that that have, you know, fueled this idea that the 60 portfolio, 60 40 portfolio is dead. And I, we thought about this. We talked about this right before this show, this show started and if you're relying your financial plan or your financial planning software, if you're relying on what the markets and the bonds markets have done the last 30 years as your litmus test going forward, 
you're wrong to start. And what I mean by that is most really good financial planning software, which we believe we use, has two options as to how to run the forecast for the client to kind of determine what portfolio they should go in, what their probability of success is. I went back and I did a quick Google search and I said, what was the historical yield on cash? Historical, like, because most financial planning softwares, you can use historical or projected returns. And projected returns aren't what we come up with. It's computed by the financial planning software based upon all kinds of different factors. But if I used a historical return on cash in a financial plan, do you have any idea what it would be? Well, you already told me it was like around 5%, wasn't 5. it? 5.53%. 5. Yeah. Well, I would love for somebody to show me where I can get 5.5% on cash today. Well, if you could get 5.5% on cash today, we wouldn't be talking about 640 being dead, right? The the website would be broken down. BTWellShow.com would be completely crashed because so many people would be trying to get 5.5% cash. Yeah. Okay. Say, yeah. <laughs> in, in fact, I went and compared it. The high yield bond market is about 55 to 6% yield. So you're talking about basically a cash insured risk-free asset that historically is paid five and a half percent that today you have to go buy high yield or high credit risk bonds to get the equivalent yield. Yeah. So exposing yourself to a lot more risk to get the same return. Correct. Yeah. And, and so think about this. Now I've got this financial planning software that I'm depending upon my financial advisor to give me good advice. And he uses historical performance, which a lot of people do because historically everything will look better because we don't have this discounted interest rate. So day one, you use a historical performance on the financial plan and you assume five and a half percent cash. The plan's wrong day one. So Right, especially in today's environment. So if we're projecting everything based upon the historical 60-40 portfolio, well, that's already wrong. We use projected rates for bonds. So if you go in there, we're assuming cash rates of less than 1%. Right, which is what we should be right now. Right, yeah. if historical inflation around four, well, inflation isn't 4% today. So one thing to be careful if someone's done a financial plan, go back and look and get in the weeds and say, hey, is this a historical or a projected? Because if you read the prospectus or any mutual fund or any investment, what's the disclaimer? Historical performance is no prediction of future results. Yep. Right? That, that's true. That that's is true. true. So I think that's really important. We talked about, you know, why, hey, yeah, 64 60, 40 might be dead if you're assuming past stuff. But if we're assuming current rates in today's market and I do a financial plan and it says, hey, if you have, you know, 30 percent of your money in bonds at a yield of two percent and you're successful, well, how does it not work? It does work. We don't have to worry about all these other factors that they're talking about. You know, you know, equities are high and yields are we don't have to worry about that if we've already assumed the low rate environment. Yeah, and I think I think that goes back to a good talking point that we've brought up several times recently and how when people come to work with us, they've done all the hard work. Well, this is a good example of if you're using financial planning software that uses historical data, that's like, okay, you're on the two yard line, but you're not using the correct like data inputs to find your solutions. Well, now you've fumbled on the two yard line and you really, you know, all you needed to do was punch it into the end zone and not blow up the situation. But that's like, that's what we're doing. We're, and 
consumers don't need to think about that. We've thought about that, and that's what we're doing for them. Well, and you'll agree that's why well, that's what separates some people from others in our business. It's how well you interpret the data, right? Because we all have access to the same financial planning software, the software I use. Anybody, any advisor in America to have the software. We have access to basically the same investment options. How we decide to allocate is different between investment companies. But what's important is what goes in the computer and what, how you interpret what comes out. And I tell everybody at every first meeting, garbage in, the computer equals garbage out. So the most important is level setting and making sure we're putting the most accurate information in the computer so we can put someone on the right glide path to reach their retirement goals. And if you haven't done a financial plan and you want to get one, btwellshow.com, we'd be happy to you know, give you a complimentary first meeting, kind of tell you how we go about doing this and see if you're a candidate for a financial plan, which we personally feel every single person is. In fact, we did one for um, a young young family the other day that came into us as a referral from a client. And we were able to quantify a lot of things that they kind of thought they were doing. We were able to fine tune in, you know, while this person's 32 years old, you know, we preface this and say, hey, this isn't, this is going to change a lot over the next 30 years. But let's make sure you're on the right track to potentially reach the goals you want to reach. Um, and we were able to kind of highlight that in a high level conceptual way for that client. So they'll act, they'll engage and take the appropriate steps to make sure they're on the right track. Right. And that was really, you know, uh, coming into the meeting, all they really, they want to do the right things. They just didn't have a really a way to quantify the decisions and get started down the right path. And that's a good situation and a good example of they know what they want to do. They know they want to save money. They know they want to be responsible. So we just help them. Well, here's some steps. These are easy things we're going to help you do and we're going to get you on the right track. And, you know, over time there, I have, you know, I, I have no doubts that they're going to be successful working with us. They surely will. And we've got a streamlined model that we're able to service them, even though they're not a 60 year old client with $3 million. We're able to service them in the model that we've created. And we kind of have the model that we're here to help people, not just take accounts that are 300,000 and more. Sure, we have those accounts, lots of them, but doesn't mean we won't help somebody because ultimately we want to help the person who's 30 or 35 or 40 or 45 get on track. Um, yeah, we all want to increase income, but ultimately the more we help people, more opportunities we have for that. Okay, Roger. So we've done a good job touching on the different aspects of the 60-40 portfolio. So for the investor, okay, for the person listening who's thinking, okay, I've been invested 60-40 for the last 10 or 20 years. Does this mean I need to totally overhaul my situation? Or just what does it mean for that person who's listening and wondering that? Well, so I'd say there's good news, bad news here. The good news is you've been successful with this portfolio for the last 20 or 30 years. It's been a staple. It's performed well. The bad news is you may not want to expect exactly the same results that you've had for over 20 and 30 years. But I'm kind of under the assumption that if you're going to do this yourself, maybe you don't fix what's not broken. Right? If, if you go into this with a lower expectation of overall return because of a depressed yield environment, well, you'll probably be okay. Um, like most things, if we hold most investments for 10, 20 years, show me investments in over 20 years that are good quality investments that have 10 year track histories that aren't going to have a positive return. 
Yeah. So are you okay is relevant. And this is where it gets tricky because if you're a do it your home investor, you either need to go purchase some financial planning software, find someone there where you can do it, hire a financial planner. And because you hire a financial planner doesn't mean they have to do your investments. You can hire, hire, hire a financial planner to do a financial plan, to do hourly advice. You know, you get to hire someone to quantify that, even if you want to make your own investment decisions. But I don't say you have to do a total overhaul, but for us, we want to quantify what makes somebody successful versus what's been the staple for the last 30 years, because I'm going to venture to guess your situation has vastly changed over 30 years. Yeah. And you probably haven't had, if you've had a 60, 40 portfolio for 30 years, you may have done yourself an injustice. Because if you were 30 years old, you had 40% yeah, allocation of bonds. Was that really the right portfolio 30 years ago? Right. Yeah. It depends on your age, right? And time horizon and right. all that. So is that there another question I wanted to ask? Isn't there an aspect of, so yes, we're at a very low interest rate environment, but bond investors, you do want the yields to come up, right? So isn't, would a good way to think about it, so you, when yields come up, the price is going to go down. But in the long term, don't bond investors want the yields to come up? Yeah, it's and a good maybe question. maybe just have to suffer a little bit in the short term? You hit it. You're going to suffer in the short term. Jeffrey Gunlotch, who owns Double Line Total Return Bond Fund, which kind of has replaced that PIMCO Total Return Bond Fund. Um, he had an article he put out, this is like a month ago, and he kind of talked about that, that we're going to have rising yields, which is going to cause short-term pain in the bond market, go find me a period of time where bonds have been down back-to-back -back years or three years in a row. You know, when you're going to have some right. short-term pain and maybe for some long-term better yields. And it's all relative to when you buy into the bond market, whether you own an individual bond or you own a bond fund. But long-term, higher yields are better for people that need income. It's arguable whether they'll be better for growth investors. Well, right. But yeah. in a 60-40 portfolio, obviously long-term, higher yields would be better. Okay. So for, for the listeners, you know, this a lot of this talk is generated on economic outlooks, right? Because these big institutions come out with their research and the outlook, and that kind of drives some of the, um, the articles and the things that come out. And I guess I wanted to ask, so an economic outlook, I mean, that that's not a guarantee of what's going to happen. That's a best educated guess and from very smart people. So how do, how should we, I guess, how should we interpret that information? And then certainly you want to tell someone, well, if rates are going up, bond prices are going to come down. So you just shouldn't be in the bond market at all. It's a good point. So these outlooks are written by very smart people. Most of them probably smarter than I. So we read them, we listen to them, and then we try to react, but not in a negative way. And what I mean, what you just said was you should just get out of bonds. Well, that's not the mature way to handle it. The mature way to handle it is go find asset classes within the fixed income space that actually have performed well or relatively well during rising interest rate environments. And there are such products or investments out there. I can't discuss them on the air, but if you know, someone wants to find out what some of those are, you can go to btwellshow.com. Um, we'd be happy to discuss that with you. But there are ways to handle that because we've had periods of time 
where interest rates have went up before. This isn't the first time it's happened. And there are certain asset classes that do better during rising interest rate environments. So you could allocate a portion of your fixed income portfolio. So if you have 40% bonds, you could put 50% in a traditional type bond investment and 50% into an asset class or whatever the percentage was that made sense for you um, that did well in times of rising rates. So there's ways to combat this without taking on excess risk of just going all in the stock market, right? Because if you're a 60-40 investor, well, you probably don't stomach the risk for 80% in stocks. So if you get out of bonds, where are you going to cash? which yield on cash today is zero for all intents and purposes. So I think the best way to do is not try to time this, but that's why you'd work with the financial advisor. If you're doing it yourself, you have to do some research of what asset classes do well in rising interest rate environments if you believe interest rates are going up. But we watch the public publications. We react because they're written by smart people. Will they be right? I don't know. I think there's some level that interest rates are going to go up because even 2% historically on a 10-year treasury is super low. So will they go up from here? Probably. Is it a guarantee? Absolutely not. They could, Like you said, they could go negative. Who knows? We don't predict on markets. We try to, to put people in investments and give them the best opportunity for success based upon the current market conditions. Yeah, and I think that comes back to, you know, a point we always make. So we're not going to try and time the market, bond market, same as the equity market, the stock market. It's really a fool's proposition to try to time markets at any time. And, you know, it's also, that's a good, the value of delegation that makes me think of that always because, so this information is coming out. And if you're a, it'd be so easy to be a consumer and to see one headline the 60-40 portfolio is dead. And then you're thinking, oh, well, that's how I'm invested. Right. Now now you read it and now maybe you're a little bit scared or you're getting emotional about your money where if you've hired us or hired a professional, you're delegating that. And you know we're, we're using the same information, but we're probably processing it maybe differently. And we're utilizing technology that most people don't provide for themselves. And we're probably consuming more of the information. Right. The knowledge right. part. We're, because you yeah. may read one article where we may have read 35 articles about it, or we've had five outlooks from some of the largest financial institutions in the world telling us what their outlook and how they combat this. So it goes back to those three things we talk about, time, desire, and knowledge. And what are we becoming for people? One of those three things. Most people don't want to commit an hour a week to their financial stuff, not even an hour a month. So if you're one of those people, you should think to delegate this because whatever the cost you perceive it is to have a financial advisor, it's probably less than what you think. And it could be meaningful long-term to hire someone to help you with your plan. And once again, you can go to btwellshow.com. We can help you out at the website. Um, but yeah, th this is what it all comes back to. Why do you want to process this information? And then how well do you interpret the data based on one article? It goes back to our, our Harry Dent stuff. Oh, well, if, if you read Harry Dent's stuff, you basically missed out on one of the greatest 10-year bull markets of all time because he said the market's going to crash every three years or whatever he said. You've missed out. Yeah. That's why he's had two funds that had to shut down and shuttered. So right. um, like we started with, the 60-40 has been dead to me for 10 years because that's not how we make recommendations. We build customized portfolios based upon the results of a financial plan for each individual specific outlook. 
Uh, so with that, I don't have anything else, Elias. Do you have any other closing comments? No, no, I don't. I think we touched on everything today. So, you know, people listening, you want to get a plan, you should just get in touch with us. BTWellShow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.